Hello, hello, and welcome to my tennis journey. Um, we are into that very exciting time of the year where it is the grass court tennis season. Um, one that we all look forward to. Uh, one that SW19 in London is famous around the world for because it is, of course, not long to go before Wimbledon starts. And we're absolutely delighted today. As you guys all know, you know, I have a very strong Derbyshire tennis affinity and so does today's guest. But the guest we've got today was actually the, the tournament referee at Wimbledon, having been a Davis Cup player and played as a professional player, went on to become Wimbledon tournament referee. And he actually held that role from 2006 until the last time Wimbledon was played in, in 2019. So it is an absolute delight to, to welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Andrew Jarrett. Hello, Rob. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. And uh, yeah, exciting times. Here we are around the corner comes, uh, comes Wimbledon. Come on. Now, it's, it's a week to go. It's about a week to go before the big event starts. Does it, does it feel strange for you not being down in Wimbledon? Because the, the last time the event was staged, you, you were a Wimbledon tournament referee. Does it feel strange not to be there, getting ready? Yeah, of course it does. It's, uh, it, it was very strange seeing what happened at Wimbledon last year, or rather what didn't happen. Um, and I, in my own mind, have been ready for that year last year as to uh, how it would feel to not be the referee and see it all happening. Uh, of course, it never happened at all, so it's been transferred onto this year. And this year is going to be very different again. It's going to be unlike a Wimbledon that anybody has ever seen before. So uh, in, in a curious sort of way, uh, yeah, I'm interested, like everybody else is, to see how it all works out. I'm sure it will go very well. It usually and always uh, always does. But, um, you know, my first Wimbledon back will actually probably be next year. Why? Because we're in Australia. We're actually, we're not even going to be in, in England, let alone at Wimbledon. So it really does feel a little bit remote. But with, with a week to go before before the event starts, what, what would you have been doing, you know, for those years where you were tournament referee? What, what, sort, of, what sort of jobs are you up to with a week to go? Well, the, uh, the main part of the preparations are finished. Um, the Wimbledon wildcards uh, were decided, and I would have been involved with that earlier this week. Um, you're looking at seeing, finally, players coming on the stage. You're seeing players come into what has been an empty uh, SW19, an empty All England club. Um, you're looking at the preparations being made at Roehampton for the qualifying. You're seeing the site being built, all the porter cabins going in that are going to manage the operations uh, at qualifying. And you're getting ready to welcome the players on site to do the draws for the qualifying, which will take place on Sunday in readiness for the matches to start on Monday at Roehampton. Um, and meanwhile, you're seeing uh, all of the main, main draw players coming on site at the main SW19 site. And so you're out there, you're meeting, greeting those and making the final preparations, which will or would have been, for me, the draw, which would take place um, next Friday, uh, three or four days before the main draw starts. Do you know, it just sounds very busy, Mr Jarrett. Was it an extremely busy time? Well, I always used to start uh, four weeks before Wimbledon. This is full-time. I mean, in, in a sense, it was a 365 job, but 
Um, I'd be four weeks there before the main event, uh, and that's obviously three weeks before qualifying. The first week would be relatively quiet. Second week, ramping up much more. Third week, which is what we're at the end of now, uh, you're really getting a sense of urgency because it's the it's the swap over time between having the place to yourself or with immediate staff to actually having a lot of outside people coming in that are going to be involved with the championships itself. Uh, and then clearly, once you kick in to qualifying, and I always regard it and still do, it's a three-week event, not a two-week event. And yeah. so yeah. as soon as you've got all of the qualifying players arriving on site at Roehampton and the main draw players coming on site at SW19, then you've suddenly got all of your major customers there. You've got over 600 players there actually on site, uh, all of whom have a very important role to play, all of whom are desperate that everything there is perfect. And so there's a real sense of urgency and a building up. And that's before a ball's been hit. And of course, once tennis actually starts, then of course it kicks in again. And yeah, the hours are very long and uh, intense uh, until you hopefully finally on the second Sunday night see the final ball hit and there's a huge sigh of relief. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I mean, I know when, you know, when I've played tournaments, low-level tournaments, but I still get nervous. I mean, did, how did you find it, you know, as tournament referee? Would you get nervous in the build-up? How did that compare with being a player in a Grand Slam? Is it a similar amount of nerves? Is it is it more nerve-wracking? First of all, I think nerves are to be welcomed. If you don't get nervous, then there's something very wrong. And I think anybody that genuinely claims to not be nervous prior to a major test of any sort is either kidding themselves or they're actually lacking a, a crucial gene that actually gets you keyed up so that you're ready to perform to your best, whether that's, a, uh, I don't know, taking an exam at school or, you know, it might be a driving test or something like that. And that certainly applies to playing tennis at a Grand Slam and in my case, in the last few years, being referee at a Grand Slam. So was I nervous? Yes, very definitely. But the nerves were quite different. I think as a, as a player, you're totally focused on yourself. You want your preparation to be 100% correct. You want to be physically and mentally right for the starting line. You want your tactics to be well thought out so that you're going on court with a very clear uh, idea of what you're going to produce over the next two, three, four, five hours, whatever it takes. Um, as tournament referee, you're uh, approaching it from a slightly different way. You're, you're very aware that you're crucially involved with uh, supplying the best possible facilities for the best players in the world to allow them to perform on that stage. To that extent, you're coordinating a huge effort by an enormous number of people. And so it's a communication exercise and it's one of trying to foresee problems at every step of the way. So a problem foreseen is a problem that you have a chance of uh, sorting out before it even becomes a problem. Uh, if you do that well enough, it allows you the time to be able to deal with the unexpected, which you're always going to get in a way that perhaps you wouldn't have been able to do if the preparation hadn't been good enough. So I think in, in the build-up, you're suddenly aware that the, the analogy I sometimes use is a bit like being on a roller coaster, you know, and you get in the car and it takes you slowly cranking up the very top. There's a realisation I can't stop this thing. I'm actually now locked into it. This thing's going for a ride, whether I want to go on it or not. And you know that that, is, that ride's about to start. 
and here we go. Yeah, it's too late. You can't go back. It's going to happen. And you just hope that you're ready. Right. You know, I love that last analogy. It's one I get to it in life. You know, I get to it in life. And, and, and I always I'm not a big Ronan Keating fan. But I play Life is a Roller Coaster by Ronan Keating on a regular basis because it just is. It's a great, you know, and that's life, isn't it? You get your ups and you get your downs. And I guess you've got, in a very intense period, a very intense roller coaster ride, all thrills. And hopefully at the end of it, you get off and everyone's smiling from the rider. Indeed. That's uh, that's very much the case, you know, and... (laughs) Yeah. Is it going to be plain sailing? Yeah, no, it's not. You know, there's going to be ups and downs along the way. And, you know, hopefully you're going to enjoy more than you're going to be frustrated by it. Yeah, come on. I remember, you know, this is an aside, but there was one time, wasn't there, where didn't, didn't one of the newspapers put a back page with wanted, a wanted poster with your good self as the picture on that wanted poster? I mean... That must just be random getting that sort of stuff happening. And and again, another thing to deal with psychologically. Yeah, that was, uh, looking back on it, that was rather fun, actually. But at the time, it was uh, it was something that I thought, oh, really? <laughs> Am I really looking at this? I think it had rained something like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> it seemed like it had rained 10 days out of the previous seven. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we were uh, 180 matches or so behind schedule and there were all sorts of... Uh, problems connected with that and uh, uh, clearly that was my fault and so they had to find somebody to blame so that was that was me so yes I appeared in the evening standard on a double page spread with a uh, with a wanted poster around my head with a, a list of all of my supposed crimes one of which incidentally was being a Derby County supporter which was a bit random <laughs> come on yeah there Mr Jarrett what, what are you going to really miss what are you going to really miss now you've moved on from being the tournament referee about that that three weeks that that is the championships. I'm gonna I'm gonna miss uh, the camaraderie that comes with working under pressure with a very close group of people that carry the same uh, almost fanaticism for ensuring that we're going to get this job done to the very best of our ability. And there are hopes, fears, frustrations with that. Yes, the ups and downs of the roller coaster along that ride, um, but at the end of it. You know, there were there was a genuine feeling of achievement that we'd actually got this beast through to the end, and it was a very satisfying feeling. I think that was, in a way, the thing that I would probably miss the most about not being there. Um, and yeah, that was very special to have a group of people that work very closely together like that. It means the world, that doesn't it? The, I know from my time in in the Carling brand team when I worked in Carling, and it's different, but the similarities there was when we worked, you know, really intense events where we were presenting our brand plans to lots of customers from all the different pub groups, all the different supermarket groups. We tried to do something very ambitious. The relationships that are formed under what is a high pressure environment because you're presenting all these plans and a lot of people, you know, presenting isn't something that list as something that they, they want to be doing a lot. The relationships that are formed, they just last and they last and they last, don't they? And, and that, that if I look back at my time, at Carlin, you know that's what I miss is the people, the friendships, the bonds that uh, that that come together when you're working under pressure. Well, you mentioned the the Evening Standard article, and that was actually in a way quite a good case in point because you know the thing came out. I looked at it with horror, uh, and then was immediately surrounded by people who were 100% supportive around me, 
which was terrific. And we then worked very, very hard to work on the backlog of those matches. We eventually somehow got it back on track. And almost unbelievably, we actually finished on the Sunday night at the regular time. And at the end of it, there was almost a cheer that went up in the office when we suddenly realized we're not coming back for a third Monday. It is actually finished. What a lovely, lovely story. That's amazing. Um, now, I mean, is, is there something that you're really, really, really not going to miss? You know, is it, what's the thing that's like, oh, no. I think it's probably, and this is a very human reaction, I think. Maybe, maybe it's a control freak side of me. I don't know. But, I mean, you're obviously in a, in a role there that does involve uh, making a lot of decisions and um, trying to carry the majority of people along with those decisions along the way. And there's a natural frustration when things happen that are out of your control. Now, that may be something as simple as, you know, rain coming down. You know, you might have successfully got, um, oh, let's say, a, a complete half of the singles draw complete on a particular evening. And you've still got two or three matches left outstanding out on court. And these matches are likely to finish, but then suddenly out of nowhere, rain ends the day and it just leaves a mess. And those people are going to have to come back the next day and they will get less rest time than their opponents who've already played and won. And people are upset. They're frustrated. They think their matches should have gone on earlier. Uh, all of those things which you actually have no control over suddenly get landed in your in-tray to deal with. And, you know, you, though you know you couldn't have done anything else, it is frustrating not being able to solve all of the other problems because of something that was out of your control. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, things that are out of your control, clearly the weather is one of them. I mean, you know, we're not too far away now. And, and I was looking at the weather forecast going, oh, you know, I'm not going to be, am I going to be able to coach? Am I going to be able to coach tomorrow in the school because of this weather that's come in? I mean, and I thought to myself, it must be nearly Wimbledon time. You know, did, did you become an absolute avid weather watcher in the run up to Wimbledon or, or not, you know, how did you how did you manage that? Because it is it's out of your control to a degree. Oh, totally, and uh, th that is yeah very frustrating, but also something that frankly you have to deal with. And to that extent, I mean, if you look at weather forecasts, uh, you can look at long term forecasts, and it's just pie in the sky. You just you know you almost you take them with a complete pinch of salt. I never used to look at the Wimbledon forecast until. I'd start to take a vague interest about five days out because about five days out, then they're starting to get a vague idea of what it might be like. But even then, you know, it's only three, two, one day before are you starting to get a much more accurate view. Over two weeks in the British Isles, you're highly unlikely to get two weeks of continual rain. You're highly unlikely to get two weeks of continual sun. So during that two week period, you're probably going to get rain. Uh, how much is up to the weather gods, um, but you've got to ride that. And, uh, you know, it'll, there'll be good days, there'll be bad days, and you've got to get the most out of every day, and that's all you can do. Yeah, come on. Now, I mean, it's, it, it, it's kind of linked, but, you know, the, the other day I was reading this headline, 
it wasn't in the evening standard about how uh, Boris Johnson has a, he has a habit of delaying tough choices and and I was thinking to myself you know I think I think I'm a bit like that too you know it takes me a while if there's a big decision to be made it, it does take me a while to get my head around it process it but you know I'm guessing on a day to day at Wimbledon you had to make loads of tough choices in the moment you know, around who plays where, what to do about the weather, should the roof go on, all these kind of things. You know, what process did you have in place to be able to make these decisions so quickly? I think you have, uh, was there a process in place? Uh, no, but I had advisors around me. And, you know, with something like Wimbledon, you know that you're going to have to be making decisions uh, on a very regular basis. And you're going to be using information that's evolving along the way so for example you know um, a match may be playing under the center court uh, under the roof but at the end of that match you're going to have to make a decision as to whether or not you open the roof for the next match or leave it closed so you're watching the score you're aware of when that match might end but you have no control over that you're also talking to the weather people and listening to what they're telling you and that's changing uh, by every half an hour or so and so you're making a best judgment call as to what's the right decision for the next match. Well, clearly that's going to apply to centre court and now court one uh, all the way through the day. So you're aware of those decisions. Uh, order of play decisions evolve as well because you have a rough idea of what tomorrow's order of play is likely to look like in your own mind. Um, however, that may be affected by unfinished matches from today's match schedule that doesn't get completed. Um, you may have unexpected losses. So whereas you may be expecting the leading players to be through for today or the day after tomorrow, then suddenly there's a big surprise result and suddenly that match doesn't look nearly as attractive as a potential central number one court match and that affects your thought process. That's evolving. Um, but, you know, you're not on your own. You're surrounded by very good people, um, all of whom it's very sensible to listen to because they're giving... Uh, very sound, well thought out advice. However, bottom line, you've got to make your own decision because you're not likely to get unanimous view. Uh, well, certainly on some decisions anyway. And if that's the case, then I think you take a balanced view and then you make the decision and you live by it. Now, we're always looking uh, for positive stories on my tennis journey. Um, and I guess, again, you know, across your career as a player and then as, the, as a referee, you must have met thousands and thousands of players. But, you know, I know this is a ridiculously hard question, but is there anyone who stands out as just being a really lovely, tip-top person? Tennis players are human beings. Uh, if you meet uh, 100 human beings, 1,000 human beings, a million human beings, you know, you get all sorts within that grouping. And the vast majority of people are perfectly reasonable for nearly all of the time. But... You know, even the most reasonable person, when faced with a set of circumstances that is not going their way and they're having a bad day for whatever reason, you know, <laughs> can really give you a tough time. And so that's the reality with you, with me, with everybody in the world. So, you know, your relations with everybody uh, are going to be dependent on the incidents that you've had with them. Um, however, some do stand out above the others. And my answer to your question is actually going to be almost almost a little bit boring because it's probably the obvious one, and that's Roger Federer. Um, only because I think he's been the most marvellous ambassador for our sport over what is very nearly 20 years. 
And not only has he played tennis to the very highest level, but I think he's also, to a great extent, carried the sport. And he's taken it from the back pages to the front pages. Uh, his, uh, his, his presence and the way he's carried himself in good times and bad times has, has been an example to virtually everybody else in the sport. And it, it's very tough to find anybody at all within the sport. In fact, you wouldn't find one person that didn't have enormous respect for who he is and what he's achieved. Uh, so, and, and that's been done under the most enormous pressure that most of us can only possibly imagine what it would be like. So many, many wonderful people involved in the, in the tennis world, but, uh, you know, looking at somebody that everybody knows and respects, yeah, Roger Federer. It's a great answer. It's a great answer. I mean, yeah, come on. Now, I mean, there wasn't, of course, a Wimbledon in, in 2020, as we, we talked about earlier, and you were the, the tournament referee of the championships last time it was staged in 2019. What, you know, a quick synopsis, what have you been up to, Mr. Jarrett, since you left that role? And, and you know, how easy or difficult did you find it ultimately to, to leave that world of tennis behind? Life is long. I've been involved in tennis for a very, very long time. And um, it's been hugely important in my life and still is. Uh, but it's not the only thing in my life. And so I've always had a little inkling to go into all sorts of different things. I, I, I love my travel. I, I, I live in Panama, which is slightly strange. I understand that. Most people you know, would probably struggle to put a, a pin in a map and show where Panama was. But uh, it, that's a marvellous place to be. I also love Australia, where I'm speaking to you from right now, and uh, I've always had a, a great love of Australia. And uh, uh, this pandemic has, uh, has caused a lot of people to look at their own lives, and to uh, and it's changed all of our lives one way or another. One way it changed our life was it was a bit like the old game of musical chairs, when you uh, the music stops and you have to sit down. And for us in March 2020, the music stopped and. We happen to be in Queensland, Australia. So we've been sitting down in Queensland, Australia ever since. Uh, and as yet, we haven't gone anywhere else. And uh, would that have been by choice? No, it wouldn't. Uh, by choice, we'd have done all sorts of other wonderful things and we would have been anticipating being at SW19 in the coming weeks. But uh, that wasn't to be. Danny, my wife, and uh, we're very lucky. We, after all these years, we still tolerate each other. It's marvellous, isn't it? And we still have a good time. <laughs> Since leaving tennis, one of the things I've been doing is uh, I do occasionally just a little bit of lecturing on cruise ships. Now, of course, that stopped immediately. The pandemic struck. And so that's something that uh, I'll look forward to going back again. But that's a lot of fun. We've, you know, Danny and I both have enjoyed that. Uh, we've done a little bit of writing, all sorts of different stuff just to keep me amused. And uh, the other thing that uh, the other thing that I've sort of really got involved with to get my sporting energies out of the way is that uh, I've been playing some seriously average golf. Uh, I suppose, you know, with, with our strong Derbyshire connections, I, I have to add the proviso that all of this is waiting for the phone to ring from Mel Morris asking me to be the next Derby County manager. And so that call hasn't yet come. So uh, that would certainly get me on a plane to get straight back there. But uh, as I say, I'm still waiting on that one, Rob. Who knows? I'll, uh, I'll, we'll have to send Mel a, a link to this podcast, won't we? I love it. I love it. I love this idea of the game of musical chairs. I think it could be like some sort of quiz show where you get destinations put onto the chair and you have to play musical chairs and wherever you sit down on, that's where you end up going on the holiday. And to be honest, I think you've done pretty well getting the jackpot with Queensland, Australia, considering where you could have been in the world. 
Well, I think people have regularly told me how lucky we are to be here. And, uh, you know, you, you'd struggle to think of being anywhere better. And uh, we appreciate that. It is totally correct. Uh, I turned it around, actually. I, th I think we would struggle to have found anywhere better. Um, we have been exceedingly lucky. Um, so it's, you know, it, I've always loved Australia, but even within Australia, Queensland has actually been better than other states. You know, for example, Victoria has had a lot of lockdowns in, in Melbourne. Uh, and Melbourne's a city I've been to a, a lot over the years, have a lot of good friends there. So I followed their pain in the same way that I followed it uh, with our friends in the UK and, uh, and also Panama as well. Yeah, indeed. And a very quick one. Aren't I right? I know you, you know, playing the bravery card. Aren't I right in thinking that you entered, was it a regional or a national golf tournament that you entered oh, in Australia? Oh, what a humiliating experience that was. Yeah, I, 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 entered, I entered this thing because it was at my club. And um, I thought, you know, well, you, you don't get too many opportunities to test yourself. So it actually was, I mean, let, let's keep it in perspective. We're only talking veterans golf. And, you know, it, it, it's not open golf by any means. But these guys could play. And, and I really can't. I'm a club hacker. Uh, but my handicap was just good enough to, to squeeze under the bar. So I entered this thing. There were 75 contestants. Uh, on handicap, I was the 74th player out of 75. So I knew that I was going to be up against it. And, yeah, I got paired with these guys. I can only say that they were delightful. They were lovely. They laughed with me, not at me. And I can only be truly grateful for that because yeah, the, 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 the stuff that I was playing in comparison to theirs was really not very impressive. But uh, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about, about tests and putting yourself under pressure. And uh, it was interesting for me to go back into a situation like that where I really felt that I, I stood on the first tee and I just thought, I just hope it goes remotely straight down the fairway. Anything else is going to be humiliating because there was quite a big crowd watching it. And I thought, oh, no, just please let this one go forwards. Okay. <laughs> that is the test on the first tee, isn't it? And, and did it? Did it go forwards? Well, it did. It didn't go where it was meant to go. That was that was for sure. But uh, fortunately, I was. I think I think they've been very kind to me. They'd actually put us with uh, with with two good players in our group. But I actually played with the seventy fifth one out of the seventy five, together with me, who was number seventy four. So, so the two of us quickly became good buddies, and we were quite relieved when we were paired together the following day as well for the next round. I love it. Absolutely love it. Now, future wise, Mister Jarrett, what are you excited about? What's coming up? Oh, life throws up all sorts of fantastic stuff. I mean, you, you know, if you look around the sporting world alone for a start, um, you know, there's, a, there's any number of things to, to look around and enjoy. So that's great. Yeah, we're here in a great part of the world. Uh, we're planning our movement away from here in due course, but uh, we, we've got a daughter that lives in the Netherlands. We would love to go and see her as and when the time is right to do so. Come and see all of our good friends up in the... Uh, up in the Midlands and uh, in the UK and also back to Panama in due course. So all of those things are, uh, uh, we're very much looking forward to doing all of those when it's right to do so. Yeah. Now, I, yeah, we can't wait to welcome you. I hope we get to go over and see Jazzy too uh, and Yoris. Um, now, one thing I know we're both excited about is the return of County Week. In particular, Derbyshire. Now we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> come on. 
participating of Derbyshire, getting stuck in Derbyshire. And, and for those listening who don't know County Week, it's where all the different counties play off against each other over a week. And, you know, a lot of the venues are seaside venues and a lot of Derbyshire tennis fans flock to, to support, you know, if it's possible under the guidelines. But how, how, how many years of County Week service did you put in for Derbyshire, Mr. Jarrett? <laughs> oh, don't embarrass me, Rob. It was a very long time. Um, yeah, I, it was, I don't know. It was, it was definitely over 30 years in total. Um, I didn't play every match every, uh, every year within that time. But uh, my, my first one was in 1971. Uh, my last one was 2004. So do the maths on that. So uh, it, wow. was, it, was a few, it was a few years... And I can honestly say I loved every single day. Amazing. And, I, you know, I go as a supporter and I love every single day I'm there as a supporter. Now, I think we need to sell County Week to our listeners just in case there's anyone who's thinking, you know, at some point I would like to go to County Week, oh, but I'm just not sure, you know. If you were to give a sentence to our listeners on why they should, guidelines are permitting, head to County Week and support their county, what, what would it be? I, what I will say, it's high quality tennis played and supported by those who have a shared passion for Derbyshire. Come on, come on. And, and it is Derbyshire, obviously, that, that we're, we're... But it's the same for all the counties, isn't it? You know, it's... Absolutely. It is yeah. The tennis is, yeah. is amazing. Look, we all, we all tune in to watch top-class uh, tennis on TV. Yeah. Anybody listening to this is likely to be watching a bit of tennis from Wimbledon in the coming weeks. But I tell you what, when you're sitting... As close as you are at County Week, right behind the matches, and it's very easy to get to know the uh, the boys and the girls playing for Derbyshire because yeah, they're lovely people. They share this passion that we all do to follow the county and play for the county, and so you get to know them as people as well. They're good people. They play very very good tennis, and it's so easy to have a good time there. You get yourself a cup of tea, you get you get a drink and a cake or whatever it is you, you enjoy, and you watch some, some great tennis played in front of you, and you have that interest, that, uh, uh, that passion for supporting the county that is actually very infectious. It is like a big family, and yeah. if you don't yeah. know everybody, you will within five minutes, um, because everybody's very friendly, they will welcome you with open arms, and you will enjoy it a lot. Come on, you know, you talk, we talked earlier about nerves, and I think you, you, we didn't. I didn't come, uh, get a chance to come back and, and touch on it just then because my mind went off on a tangent. But basically, if you really, really, really care about something, you are going to get nervous, aren't you? Because you care for it, and that's you know, it's a positive thing. And I remember, I think it was probably we had our Stanley as a baby at about I don't know, you know, not very old, of you know, six months old or whatever. And I remember watching a match. Uh, I was jiggling him around in my arms and we were watching a match that was uh, Simon Thornywell and Chris McPherson were playing. And I can't remember the exact situation of why, but I remember thinking to myself, I am more nervous now than I think I've been at any sporting occasion because I, I cared so much that I wanted them to win this match. And I remember them going on and doing so. And just the buzz that you yeah, you know, you, you live and breathe it as a supporter. You are absolutely part of the action. I could I could claim that you actually get more nervous as a supporter than you do as a player. Because as a player, you're immersed in the battle itself. You know, it, it is you involved with it and you have something to concentrate on, i.e. hitting the ball. Um, as a supporter, you're helpless. 
Um, yeah. But it's a glorious helplessness because you're there sharing that same feeling with those sitting uh, around you as well. Uh, and just wishing, wishing the, the boys or the girls in front of you the very best. And uh, it, it is a, a lovely shared feeling. Isn't it just... Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's lovely to hear what you've been up to um, about life over in Australia, about the reflections on Wimbledon and those reflections on County Week. So, so thank you so much. Pleasure. Always a great pleasure to talk to you, Rob. And uh, anybody listening that, uh, that I know, very best wishes to you. I know it's been tough over there for a long time now and uh, hopefully some better days ahead. <laughs>